What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 10th, 2021, and this week's episode, Marina Rodriguez emerges as a new strawweight contender. We'll be talking about the latest, obviously, UFC Vegas 39 and the victory by Marina Rodriguez over Mackenzie Dern. And we'll talk about the latest in MMA news. We have a date for the heavyweight title fight between Francis Ngannou and Cyril Ghosn. We'll talk about the latest in Bellator. Five round main events starting in January as well as a new changeup in the lightweight division as Patricio Pitbull vacates his title. And we'll close out the show talking about this coming Saturday's event. It's not the main event we expected, but we have a top up-and-coming contender in Aspen Ladd taking on a relative promotional newcomer in Norma Dumont. So there'll be plenty to discuss there. My name is Gabriel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy Sunday. Uh, that's all I got for you. Happy Sunday. <laughs> Isn't it a great one? I mean, yep. we're officially in the midst of October. Uh, like I, we said last week, everyone's pumpkin spice everything. Uh-huh. This week, my neighbors all, you know, suddenly there's fake spike, fake cobwebs all over everything. And uh, one of them, they got the fake tombstones and everything. Oh, yeah. Those like, are good with the skeleton parts like sticking out. They have the ones with like a lot of the fake names, like they're all puns or something like that. Oh, yeah, yes. like at the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's a lot of that going along, which is nice. It, you, it feels like a collective vibe, which I like. But um, yeah, uh, very busy just uh, week in general in terms of breaking news. There, I think a lot of people, I will say like I know that um, we got some stuff, but I believe after next week, we are officially really kicking off arguably one of the more exciting runs in mixed martial arts. I mean, we're going to have a lot coming up with, um, obviously, in UFC, you're going to have two pay-per-views back-to-back. But then you have uh, Fedor in Russia. You've got the PFL Championship. So there's just a lot of stuff going on right now. I really, really like it. But um, let's talk about this past Saturday, uh, last night. So we have Mackenzie Dern. Taking on Marina Rodriguez, 25 minutes. Um, The best way to sum this one up, Natalie, anytime Mackenzie got her on the ground, you saw just how many miles ahead she was. Um, And and we knew that with her jiu-jitsu. But once again, and like I talked about it last week, the real key isn't what does Mackenzie do on the ground, it's can she get her there. And what we saw was just her ability to get opponent, get a high-level opponent to the ground. It was not at the level she needed it to be. She really struggled with that. And what you saw is just how good of a striker Marina Rodriguez is. She just really was able to light up McKenzie at will when they were at mid-range. And I think as the fight wore on... A lot of that growth that we really celebrated for McKenzie in this last year... It felt like she was just getting more desperate. She starts winging these wide open punches. I think, I I will say this, I appreciated the sense of urgency. She was trying to make something happen when she realized that she was clearly in the hole. But it it just wasn't meant to be. Marina is just too good of a striker. I will say physically, she had quite the size advantage that I didn't realize was going to be so drastic until I saw them together. But yeah, I think that Marina, for her part, she survived what she needed to on the ground, and she did a fantastic job neutralizing the takedown attempts that were made by McKenzie, and just a very easy route for a unanimous decision victory. What about you? Yeah, it was a very eye-opening fight. Uh, I believe I picked Mackenzie Dern, like an armbar submission or something in round three. Uh, well, you know, I mean, she had her moment in round two, you know, the whole round was hers. Mackenzie Jerns, as you said, she was able to dominate once she got Marina in her wheelhouse. But rounds one, three, four, and five were all all Marina. What I found interesting was a couple of things. You know, Mackenzie Dern proved that she has a really good chin because she ate some shots, especially some kicks to the face. Her striking, yes, plainly has a long way to go. It's much improved from early days, as is her physique. 
but it's just really hard. And we've seen it so many times for, for, for folks, fighters that have grown up strictly grappling to disengage from that part of their brain, that instinct in their brain to just, you know, take you down, take you down. And it's really hard for them to, to transition into smooth striking. And so she does, as you say, wing her punches. She still has power. That's there. That's a natural thing that she has in her punches. But it's just not pretty. It uh, looks a little sloppy. And it's just going to take a lot of time, a lot of time and patience. I think Marina was a good opponent for Mackenzie to really get hit over the head with that fact. Um, it was a good fight. She stuck in there. Like, you know, you got to give her credit for, for never never quitting the fight, right? Like after round two, when she dominated, she came back to round three. To me, she looked nearly exhausted, but she was still trying to throw punches with her end game always being to take you down. And I think it would have been helpful if she just tried to be successful with punches, you know, try to land a jab, get out of the way. And, and you, 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 they kept cutting back to the, per, the corner with Jason Perillo. He sounded like a frustrated dad. Like he was, he was just almost like pleading with her, like, just please circle out, you know, do this, do that. And I think he was frustrated because he probably sees what she can do in, in, you know, in training and then sees it basically dissolve once she's in the octagon because it's a, it's a different, it's a different game. And especially, like I said, for someone who's a grappler watching her against um, Marina made me think of a little bit of Rhonda versus Holly now, Rhonda's demise in that fight was much bigger, you know, apart from the, the impact of her loss. But, like, physically, like, she wasn't in any kind of shape the way Mackenzie Dern was. But she was doing the, like, whip around, you know, whiffing on a punch and then, and then whipping around and getting caught. You know, Marina caught Mackenzie in a similar kick that Holly landed on, on Rhonda to finish her. But it didn't, it didn't have the same effect, obviously. So a lot more room to grow for Mackenzie. Where is she going to be ranked after this? I don't know, but I suspect it's going to go down at least two, three points or positions. I should say great showing for Marina. Um, it started to look for her like in rounds four and five, almost like practice, you know, she's just kind of, there was no threat on the feet for Mackenzie and she was just kind of landing punches wherever she wanted, taking her time. So a little hard to watch, but yeah, you know, Mackenzie herself said it's, it's a great learning experience and you can't not come out a better fighter after that. So, you know, we'll see how she how she looks in her next fight, uh, Mackenzie Dern. As for Marina, well, yeah, of course, the big question is what's next? Yeah, I think Mackenzie, she's in that very unique spot because she is very young. And what I will say is we've seen this with several of the jujitsu guys in particular. I mean... Damian Maya, fantastic when he got you on the ground, but he was never a Kamaru Usman, a George St. Pierre could just really just change levels and just blast double, get you down, right, consistently. The, quite bluntly, jiu-jitsu takedowns are just very different from wrestling takedowns. So when you talk about MMA and you have all these other factors that you got to worry about, not having that strong wrestling to just get on top of your opponent and then start working your grappling and your control. I think that that's a challenge we've seen. Like I said, Damian Maya was there. A couple of the other guys, especially earlier in their career, really just struggle with that. Is that, you know, they're so good on the ground, but it just takes them a long time to work their just offensive wrestling. And I think that's just what we saw with Mackenzie. What I will say before we move on to Marina is that she's at the perfect age that she could still really learn and grow. I will say this, there's not um, off the top of my head this deep pool of really amazing grapplers at uh, um, Ruka, you know, for example. Mm -hmm. And I mean wrestlers. I mean, for example, let's send her to Dagestan or send her up north with Daniel Cormier. Just work wrestling, not jujitsu wrestling actually you know yeah. get from the feet to the ground that's a different story now not to say they don't have people that work on that over there i'm just saying there are certain teams that are just more famous for this right i mean kevin yeah. holland you know case in point there people are like you know lock them you know monday through friday in the gym with dc send him over to train with habib and his crew and come back in six months it's just a thing 
Um, I think McKenzie could still get there. Just obviously a couple of things to address and continue to grow as a striker. Uh, secondly, so for Marina Rodriguez, fantastic win. I will give her credit. Very consistent from Amanda Hibas to one week notice the fight she had with Michelle Watterson. This one, obviously very different kind of opponent, but still dangerous and does pretty much what she has to do. And I think, okay, was she put in a lot of serious trouble on the mat? Yes. But I think more importantly, she did not get finished, which I think it's about as beneficial as you could get coming off a victory because you know what you can address and work on and grow from, which is what I really want to see if we're going to talk about her as a top contender. Looking at the division, I think it really comes down to the winner of Nama Yunus and Zhang. How long do we have to wait for them? Because if the winner comes back, let's say, first half around March or April, I do think that Carla Sparza gets that next title shot straight up. Keep in mind, Carla Sparza already beat Marina Rodriguez last year. Split decision, close fight, but the fact is, Carla got the W. Carla's coming off the big win over Jan Shannon. This should be Carla's fight any way you slice it if the champion is coming back soon. I will say, just going off of the last year or so, sometimes it's been a while to see either Rose or Whaley back in action quickly. Now, part of that, I understand they both had a lot going on. Um, you know, uh, Whaley coming from China and obviously the COVID epicenter kind of deal. Rose, a lot of turmoil in her personal life. And, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that this is going to be a consistent thing. But after the kind of year they've had getting to the octagon, if they choose to say, hey, I may not fight again until next July, then I could see a scenario where we have to do something. Could that be running it back even though the first fight was very recent between Marina and Carla? Probably. That stands out. But assuming that Marina has to fight one more time, I think the loser of Nama Yunus and Weili Zhang, or I'll say this, I know some people kind of uh, threw shade on this idea, but I think there's never been a better time for Joanna to get a fight to set up for a title fight. Assuming Zhang Weili were to win, if Rose Nama Yunus wins in about, you know, a little less than a month, I think Joanna just has to accept that she either has to move up a flyweight or go back to the middle of the pack. But I think that it's been proven you can't take these long layoffs and expect an immediate title shot if you are not a Connor, a Habib, a George St. Pierre, someone like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think for Joanna, she did have a moment in her career where she could have done something like take a long layoff and then come back. But um, she's just lost too many in a row. She's still a big name, but can't just disappear, you know? And so at, at this stage of your career, having lost to, you know, Shevchenko and um, Nam Yunus twice. So um, I liked the idea of Marina versus Joanna. I read a little bit of the excerpts from the post-fight interview and Marina Seemed a little miffed at Joanna, like you, you can't hold this spot in the rankings for long. You've been gone since you know May, March of 2020, something yep. like that. So, you know, that makes sense to me. But I, I would like to see that fight because of the of the you know they're both Muay Thai fighters, and I feel like Joanna still is the superior fighter in in that style. So that's exciting uh, to me. I like that Marina was basically saying, you know, if we're going merit-based, it's Carla's shot next for the for the belt, but if they tell me it's mine, I'm not going to turn it down, uh, which is fair, you know, <laughs> you know, it's fair for her to, to admit that Carla should be next, but also, like, you know, let's be realistic, this isn't uh, the nice uh, fighting championship, so, so yeah, so it's interesting, it, it's weird how a lot of it hinges on Joanna. And a lot of the future for Carla and, and Marina on Joanna. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, will Zhang or Nama Yunus be willing to turn her one around quickly? I think Nama Yunus definitely no. Uh, and Zhang I'll probably yes, because um, if she wins it back, she'll probably want to defend it in, you know, somewhere special to her, somewhere in Asia or something. And the UFC will want the same thing. 
If that's possible, though, with the times we're in, I, I don't know. So <laughs> that's like the other wrench that you have to consider when it comes to location. Um, all in all, I think it's pretty clear Carlos Barza is probably like, hey, guys, please don't like forget about me. And um, although I'm a huge fan of hers and she's got some good wins under her belt, especially the last one, she's not as exciting as someone like Marina or Joanna just because, you know, Muay Thai, when, when a striking uh, style is your, is your main martial art, it just, you know, makes things more interesting. I mean, I will point out Nama Yunus's favorite to win against Whaley next month. And obviously, Rose wins. Joanna has some decisions to make, right? Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. you could beat Marina. But I think at this stage of the game, the cards don't read a short road back to a title shot, especially if Nama Yunus is holding the belt. Yeah. Young Whaley, that's a different story, right? Of course. Right. Um, but then, like we said, layoffs... I don't see Rose, sorry, I don't see Marina or Carla waiting until next July to fight. And so in which case I could see them fighting. But obviously, like I said, if Carla gets it within that first half, of, not like on July, I'm talking about March, April, then yeah. yeah, I could see Marina getting somebody, either the title fight loser or see if a deal gets done for Joanna, even if Joanna doesn't necessarily have a short road back, but um... Yeah, I think it's kind of clear that some the shoe has to fall eventually for Joanna and the, the UFC. I think mm -hmm. that's just where we're at. And once again, Joanna looks happy. Yep. But then we'll hear about, oh, yeah, she came to Florida to train at ATT and she's going to make a deal happen. And you notice how they just kind of don't say anything about it. And then it's like, hmm. <clears throat> Someone tells me that meeting with the powers that be did not go the way they hoped, right? So we'll figure all that out from there. Okay. Um, it was one of those nights, just a, a lot of consistent action. Nothing really, I mean, not like last week's Kevin Holland and everything kind of scenario, but still another solid night on the prelims. A couple good finishes there. Uh, before, you know what, uh, Saturday real quick. No, sorry, we're going to go Friday to the weigh-ins and then we could touch on Mr. Fury getting a really epic victory over Deontay Wilder. That was awesome. But talk about this weigh-in drama. So, Duran Wynn, you know, longtime teammate of Daniel Cormier and the mm -hmm. breakout star of the long-standing, long-established Golden Boy MMA promotion, <laughs> was scheduled to fight Phil Hawes. I don't even remember when they announced it, but they just say Duran Wynn was out of the fight. They announced that Chris Curtis, who you'll remember had that contender series, and then he said he was retiring and everything. Chris Curtis steps in on about 24-ish hours notice for the fight. So he comes in late, no, less than 24 hours, weighs in, makes weight. Uh, they were going to fight a middleweight. I think that Chris is normally a welterweight, so not exactly you know crazy that he made 185 but mm -hmm. the fact is he made weight so did phil hawes phil hawes later says i am not gonna take a short notice opponent so the fight gets canceled and then you have james kraus who's coaching tim elliott on the undercard say well you know i'll save this fight i'll fight chris curtis I'm even ready to weigh in right now while I'm talking while I, while I'm helping out my athlete Friday morning. That guy. I, I mean, that's just gangster. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's exactly. That. I thought about you saying that's just gangster. <laughs> that was my thought, and it's like did, he did this recently. Like, hasn't he done this multiple times or at least once? Not that long ago. Yes. Where he's there coaching somebody, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it. I got nothing else to do." <laughs> I mean, I mean, that is. That is just really cool, man. You're just like a cool, confident dude. And you have to have cool, confident, um, you know, students who are like, yeah, okay, you can go, you can go, you can go fight and then come back and coach me or coach me first and then go fight. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yes, because that fight would have happened before Tim Elliott's fight on the card. Yeah, for sure. and then it's like, okay, your coach is going to go get beat up, you know, not lose, but you're in a fight. You're going to get hit in the head and kicked in the head and all that stuff. And then he has to clear his cobwebs and come coach me, <laughs> you know. It is it is gangster, man. I can't disagree with you there because nobody does that. Nobody has the guts 
or the or the crazy wildness to do that. Um, you know, it's too bad it didn't come to pass, but I hope the UFC cuts him a check just for volunteering to the point of stepping on the scale. Like he was willing to go right then and there. So they got to give him a little extra something, something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Ultimately the commission didn't go with it, but, um, you know, James Krause, my dude, he's kind of like up there with, uh, Paul Felder stepping in on fight Island as the coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know what? That's my dude right there. So I really liked it. Um, that would have been awesome, but not meant to be. Uh, you know, not, the UFC was the only show in town in MMA, but obviously a big night in boxing. You know, the only way I'm going to sum it up, I really just was impressed by Wilder coming out. Um, he, he came out strong. He's attacking the body. He had, you know, the eye of the tiger. And then, you know what, there's those two knockdowns and it looks like, holy guacamole. He's actually going to do it. He's about to take all of Fury's talk and shove it down his throat and it's going to be this really big moment. And instead, I'm not going to lie, that was a really rough one. It felt like Wilder's eyes just did not seem to be there from round five onward. I I don't know another nice way to put it, Fury... I will say this, I feel like he respected the threat of Wilder's power more. And uh, I, I think that that was very smart on his part. There was a lot more holding than I was comfortable with. I do understand when people are like, you know, at a certain point, they should have taken points away, the referee. But man, that finish, you know, he just took over the course of those 11 rounds, the heart the spirit, the energy, and then that last overhand right walk-off knockout just drops Wilder. And I was like, "That I'm sorry, but that was gangster too after <laughs> all that. And then you see it, you know, Fury, and he just stretches out and boom! And then Wilder just was done. No question about it. Just drops like a tree. And I was like, mm-hmm. and then Fury looks at him and then he just starts walking and I'm like... Man, that yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I felt like it took too long to get to it. I was ready to watch Fury Anthony Joshua for all the belts. That was a good show they had Saturday. I, I'm gonna give you that. What about you? Yeah, it was a it was a, a a great show. You know, I didn't think we needed a Wilder Fury three. I thought Fury beat him in the first one, but it was a draw. Okay, fine. And the second one, he like you know obliterated uh, Fury obliter- obliterated Wilder, but. The way this one went down, I'm glad they did it. It was dramatic. You know, like you said, uh, Wilder had that moment there where I think actually both of them were saved by the bell. And round one, was it round one where, where Fury knocked Wilder down? He was yeah. going to finish him. Saved by the bell. Round four, Wilder was about to finish Fury. Now Fury in the post fight says, no, no, he, he didn't hurt me. I was fine. But it didn't look like it. It looked like if that round had gone on for 30 more seconds, it would have been over. Or it could have been over. There would have been that opportunity for Wilder. Uh, but, but yeah, five on, Deontay Wilder started to look like he did at the beginning of round one in, in the second rematch, you know, where he's just, his eyes are just like big and he looks lost and, you know, he was doing what he could to hang in there. As he always says, you know, I just have to be good for two seconds. They have to be good for perfect for 12 rounds. Right. So that threat is there. He's bigger than you've ever seen him. You know, they're just like super, super swollen. So it was exciting. The I think it was round 10. Wilder knocked him down and thought it was going to be called. It wasn't. And he spun him around, and then he did the same in the 11th. It was pretty darn exciting. Like, the the pictures on Instagram of Fury in, in those, like, little orange shorts with everyone saying, like, this is, like, the, the greatest heavyweight. This is the athlete body, the athletic body of, like, the greatest heavyweight. It's pretty funny because, you know, it's just, like, a 6'9", spare tire, Gypsy, like it's exactly who you don't expect to be the heavyweight champion. Hey, this um, is why people gave uh, Ben Askren a chance. You can't underestimate the dad bod, ever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, okay. not everybody. Bo- I mean, <clears throat> I mean, if Ben Askren came out and boxed like that with Jake Paul, we'd be having a different conversation about all the combat I mean, sports. <laughs> even if he had just done it for one round, like at least shown something. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Good um, for Fury. What yeah. is the future for Wilder? I don't know, man. 
I'm sure. And, I'm, Andy Garcia. There's Ruiz. You oh, mean? no, Ruiz. What's his name? Andy Ruiz. Sorry. Yeah, they, they got options for him. And it, uh, honestly, it helps him more not having the belt because there's so many more that you could just take on. My prediction is because we just saw Joshua Nusik like two weeks ago, which totally hurts because you know that had Joshua won, they totally would have done a stadium somewhere, Fury and Joshua, hopefully in England, and we just all can pretend we're British for the day but um, and enjoy the show. But uh, I- I'm assuming that Fury's going to get somebody. Like, I don't want to say tune-up, but let's be honest, it's not going to be a Deontay Wilder type guy. Joshua's going to rematch Usyk, and then the winners, if Fury wins and the, whoever wins there, they do something late next year, which I'm cool with. So, good stuff. Uh, I will say this, um, Deontay Wilder with the outfit real quick, because we talked about that a while. I, I like the vibe. He kind of had that, like, uh, Michael B. Jordan's character out of Black Panther, Killmonger, like with the mask and... He's got just like the uh, tribal robe, you know, like he's looking to go sacrifice a gypsy king, you know, to appease his village. I like the look. What about you? Did you see the photo of him? Uh, you know what? I'm having to look it up right now because I didn't. Um, no, I missed it. I'm, I still when just you, have the memory of the last one. <laughs> when you see the photo, it, very light looking robe and a mask. None none of the shredder armor. So Gotcha. I know everyone was like, he, he's going to double down on it. And I'm like, let's be honest. He was never going to do that. He would never have lived it down. So I think it was a good decision. Is it like a red with yeah. black fur? Okay, I see. It. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it still looked cool. I thought so. Yeah. I was like, hey, you know. It's actually good. Yeah, it's good. It is definitely like Black Panther, like that, you know, that scene when they're in the water fountain, the big fountain water waterfall. Yes. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, though. I like the Shredder armor. I thought he oh. looked freaking badass. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I know it didn't work out, but when you see those photos, I'm like, this isn't pro wrestling. He came out and he fought a real fight in that, you know? I mean, not in the outfit, but you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was Deontay Wilder. I thought it was cool, man. Uh, you know for the record <laughs> for the record okay yeah um more mma news uh january looks like we got some good stuff going on francis Ngannou and surreal gone will headline the first pay-per-view on january 22nd that is expected to be ufc 270 i mean nothing really more needs to be said Ngannou is coming off arguably the best five fights that you could have ever at the in the heavyweight division Undisputed champion, surreal gone, less fights overall, but he's made them count. He's looked just fantastic, and he has the interim title after beating Derek Lewis. I think my only thing, um, I would have loved to see Francis sooner. I think we all know that there was some kind of a, just, uh, there was just a communication breakdown and a negotiation breakdown on why we didn't get Ngannou earlier, because we obviously he got business done really quickly in March. But the fact is, under the circumstances, okay, we're getting this moving along. I like it in that way. My only thing is, what are they doing in the co-main event? Because I'm here. At first, it looked like Adesanya Whitaker 2 on the undercard. Now they're talking about possibly putting them in February, so they headline their own event. I'm not sure. I, I would like... I personally would like them to make that card bigger for Nganu because I feel like everybody would benefit. I think that when you talk about the post-McGregor era, I feel like Nganu and Adesanya, they both have that kind of style that really would elevate them to have them reach that superstar level, to have that, you know just status as pay-per-view draws. And I think that together they would actually benefit from each other. They're both going to sell good pay-per-views by themselves, but I think that together it would just be so stacked. What about you? It would certainly look cool, you know, on the posters and the press conference and all that, all the visual aspects of a a pay-per-view, all the promotion that goes into it. It would be exciting for sure. I think, uh, you know, it seems almost too good to be true. Like we've been, we've been hankering for this all Africa or partial Africa, you know, championship lineup. And it's one of those where like, we want it so badly that the UFC will probably not give it to us, not on purpose, but just like 
just one of those things like um, Khabib, you know, Tony Ferguson, we're like, just it may never work out, but we can still be hoping. Um, but in general, I'm excited for Nganu gone. I think it's a better fight than Nganu Lewis would have been, not just because of how disastrous their first fight was, but just because of how good gone looked against Lewis and how terrifying Nganu is. And so this is, this is a much cooler fight. I expect there to be like a lot of action. Like let's just say Nganu's a little hesitant. Gon's going to be the one, you know, putting, applying the pressure. So, so just thinking ahead, I, I'm excited about that. Uh, but yeah, Adesanya Whitaker, Hey, if we get it awesome, if we don't, they'll, they'll still give us a good card. I mean, January's, you know, new year's, they're going to want to do something cool. Yeah. I think they're just going to be uh, well-balanced either way. Uh, once again, I, I will say this is that the UFC is really committed to stacking the cards because they know, I think with COVID and everything, it's like, if we're going to fill it, we're, the point is to fill out, to sell out the house each time, right? Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, there have been some pay-per-views pre-COVID, one title, you know, and sometimes it's not their fault, guys or girls fell out. But I think that in the COVID era, you've seen a really deliberate attempt that like, we're not going to stack the fight nights as much. We're really committing a lot of firepower to you know, the the cards where fans will be in attendance in droves, right? So yeah. I, I do wonder because you have, obviously, look, you got two belts coming up this month, three next month, uh, another two or three in December. Uh, suddenly, you know, we're running out of championship belts to reach into, right? So mm-hmm. it's going to be very interesting to see how they balance the rest of them out going into the first half of 2022. But Something to keep an eye on, especially because remember Dana said that his hope is this coming year return to fight nights in front of fans. Okay. With the status of COVID and everything, and I know that's another conversation, I will say that I feel like we've been in a holding pattern that people aren't talking about, about, well, just how close are we to selling out a this or that? Because remember that the UFC, they're not exactly selling out auditoriums for fight nights they they look like they've sold out fight nights at the staples center yeah you know it it isn't always a pay-per-view i like they've done it um places like that a lot of uh a lot of arenas in big cities the way the wwe does like they have a super stadium for wrestlemania but they still go around and they sell out these big arenas just for weekly events because the brand is so strong that's what ufc is used to doing I'm interested to see how many of those options are actually available in January and if they actually commit to it or if Dana White just says, yeah, we want to go, but COVID and we're still at the apex indefinitely. I'm interested in just getting an update on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if I were them thinking about what all the experts are predicting for this winter, like as occurred, you know, with last winter with COVID, things will get worse. If I'm the UFC, I'm going to hold off on on doing like a fight night in like the early part of of the of 2022 when it's still, you know, winter, <laughs> when things are still kind of sketchy. Um, just cuz you don't want to have to be why why put extra pressure on yourself to cancel and reschedule and do all this stuff. Like just wait until March, wait until April and then just go. Uh, that's what I would do. So, we'll see. I mean, remember we were supposed to get London I mean, yeah. that, that yeah. they they moved that pretty late. They they really put. He didn't talk about it as much in interviews, but he put his chips in for London. You knew that, so yeah, it's one of those. Um, moving on to some other news. Uh, Scott Coker talked to Ariel Helwani, and he didn't just bring the snack. He brought the whole bag. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh huh. The big one. Patricio Pitbull has vacated his one fifty five title, so that one will now be contested for by Patricky, his older brother, taking on Peter Quilly, which is a rematch of a fight they had recently. And that one's that one was already scheduled for November 5th, but now it's become the main event, and now it's five rounds, obviously. So mm-hmm. that was announced on Wednesday, and then Pitbull said that, Patricio Pitbull, said that his focus is getting his 145 belt back from AJ McKee. They didn't 
discuss a date or anything like that, but I'm assuming sooner is better for Pitbull in 2022. And then for Patricky Pitbull, uh, he was doing well. He had a seven fight win streak snapped. He did the, he kind of went on loan and represented Bellator in Ryzen, lost in the finals of the championship over there, the tournament. And then he did already fight Peter Quilly, and that one was one that got stopped by a cut. I believe it was before the second round, and the doctor called it off. Quilly, two-fight win streak, 11-4 and four overall. And uh, yeah, so a lot to unpack there. What were your thoughts? I thought, wonder what the conversation was like at home or, you know, wherever. I don't know if they live together with the Pitbull brothers, but, you know, Patricky was probably like, Oh, all right, cool. I'm I'm on board with this plan of yours to vacate your belt because, <laughs> because it looks pretty good for me now. Now I don't have to like they were never gonna fight each other. So what was the future for Patricky gonna be with his brother as champion like at that weight class? So this is the right thing to do. I don't know when Pitbull last fought. Was it when he lost to Michael Chandler? Like is that the last time he uh, or fought Michael Chandler? I'm saying. When did he last defend the 155, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. He never did. He only he beat Michael Chandler and moved back down to 45, right. was in the tournament. For the tournament. Yeah, okay. See, yeah, so so that's like even more reason, you know, I understand why Bellator wouldn't have stripped him because COVID came along and, you know, he's a big name and, you know, it's – you still want to keep your division exciting and him and being at the top is what, what, what does that. Um, but this is, this works out well for Bellator works out well for Patricky works out well for Pitbulls or, you know, who can now Patricia who can now go back and focus on getting his 145 belt back. I feel like this is a win win situation here. So no issues all on board. I think it's very telling. Cause I will say this with AJ McKee and free agency, I did wonder, it's like, well, AJ McKee versus Patricky Pitbull. I mean, when that kind of sells pretty well right about now, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I do think that they are not looking to... I, if I'm reading between the lines like I think I am, I think that AJ McKee's heart is pretty set on trying him, his talents to the UFC. Bellator obviously doesn't want to devalue their own product before he leaves so they're like look you can run it back with patricio at 45 hey they might even do patricio at 55 and you could fight non-title fights 155 and then we'll just call it macaroni (laughs) but i do think they don't want to devalue a second championship by saying oh the best 45er and 55er left our promotion so now two title fights you are watching the second best guy we have they don't want that so yeah i think that that was very telling that they they're committing to say yeah we're going patricky and quilly just straight up rather than at this point let's be honest if they had said hey we're gonna do the lightweight title in 2022 i don't think people would have batted an eye you know i mean quilly respectfully he's not exactly screaming off the page as someone that there's this huge droves and momentum behind you know what i mean right yeah so i do think that's a telling move personally but yeah um i think for uh patricio and patricky i think having a plan for both of them i think that's good for bellator and i'm sure they'll sort all that out as the months start to roll out but going into the i expect us to hear next month that AJ McKee Pitbull are running it back. I don't know what weight, but I'm, that's what I'm predicting. They're going to run it back in January at the forum again. Yeah, uh, I think so too. I mean, there's no reason not to. That, like, There are only so many big names you can make hay out of um, at Bellator, and so you got to just keep the momentum going. And that's, that's one of the biggest uh, rematches they have available. And they always go, well... Pre-COVID, but I'm assuming they want to try to get to business as usual. January's been traditionally Los Angeles for Bellator. Yeah, yeah. Um, another one of those golden nuggets by Mr. Scott Coker. Chris Cyborg has an opponent. He's fa- she, sorry, she is facing Sinead Kavanaugh, Bellator 271, on 
November 12th. By the way, I know that she pronounces it in a way that is not typical for a way an American would read Sinead. So if I'm mispronouncing it, I I apologize, Miss Kavanaugh. I, I just don't have that, you know, that accent to pull it off properly. But I respect that you're getting out there. Um, this would be title defense number three if she pulls it off. Cyborg, I don't really got to tell you who she is. 24 and 2 has held and defended all the major 145 titles in MMA for women. Um, Kavanaugh, she is 7 and 4 and she's on a two fight win streak going into this fight. Um, Kat Zingano and Chris Cyborg have kind of touched on why they're not fighting. Cyborg did say that to Ariel, very bluntly, it seems like Kat Zingano wants to get more experience. We've touched on this for the record. I feel like they want to make it a slow burn if Kat's going to fight for the title. Because if she loses to Cyborg, where does she go from there? You know, especially now that there's no Julia Budd. So... I kind of feel like they don't want to jump in right away and possibly take away from the drawing power of Cat or Cyborg by having one or the other burn each other. So that's how I think we've reached uh, Sinead Kavanaugh taking on Chris. What about you? Yeah, that's definitely the smart move because, you know, whether it's because Cat wants more experience or not, you don't want what you just described, that scenario to happen right now. Then what? Nothing to not, who's left for Chris, who's left for Cat. You just you, you know you're just playing the filler game until they can meet again. Um, I'm not too familiar with Sinead Kavanaugh, but it's just what you have to do with someone who's when you have a dominant champion. You know you see it with Nunes, you see it with Shevchenko. It's like who's next in line? Does it make sense for Zingano? Like let's let her build her brand at Bellator a little bit. We know they're gonna fight. That's the next biggest name in their division. So it's happening. We just got to give it a little time to marinate so that there's, you know, we can speak, we can speak like about their records, their Bellator records with some, and have, that have a little depth to them. You know, it's not like, oh, she won one fight, Kat Zingano, and there she is with Chris Cyborg. So this makes perfect sense. I like it. it. Gives Chris Cyborg another notch on her Bellator belt. And whenever Kat Zingano fights next, it'll give her some more footage for her highlight reel, you know, for her hype package for when she does finally get to fight Chris Cyborg. So another win-win for Bellator. They're very good at making sensible, strategic, smart moves. Um, Scott Coker's, you know, that's that's one of the things he's known for. So well done. I would say with Kavanaugh, uh, Bellator is done. Uh, they kind of roll it under the radar in the United States. They kind of gear it, but there's almost two Bellators. There's regular Bellator here in the States with a lot of their stars, and then there's the whole Euro series. And, you know, slowly some of those men and women have started to really cross over, like Liam McCourt. Um, James Gallagher is obviously another guy that kind of uh, really kicked it off, but Pre-COVID, Bellator was very committed to the European series and they were building all that and really establishing a base over there. And so I will say, I I feel like even though Kavanaugh isn't really as well known over here in terms of like, oh, if you follow the top people in Bellator, who is it? However, I don't expect her to be necessarily like completely feel off the street going into a fight with Cyborg. I'm not going to lie to you and act like she's got the name value, similar to Peter Quilly against Patricky Pipple. But I will acknowledge that she's been maybe more developed on these European cards that were built with the European audience and the time slot in mind than over here in the West. So I think that's something to tell. But I will also say that when you look at a record, it's going to be a Rocky Balboa type of upset. And now, yes, is Chris Cyborg... I mean, look, she... You feel like Chris Cyborg should have gotten Leslie Smith out of there the way she was fighting? Is she slowing down? Is, she, is age? Is the miles? I, I don't know. I, I will say this. If it feels like this is the time to get Cyborg, maybe. But that is still a big mountain to climb, even if it's not still Mount Everest with Chris. You, you get what I mean? Yeah, it is interesting, though. Like This division, 145 female division, kind of makes me think of the men's heavyweight division where you can be older 
you can be, you know, older in your 30s, even a little beyond, and still be a top fighter because it's just a different kind of competition. You need power, you need speed, but you don't have to be as fast as like the lower weight classes. And so um, even if Chris is slowing down a little bit, like right now her competition is sort of still in her age group. So I don't think there's, you know, I think they're all sort of traveling, aging together for right now anyway. Uh, so yeah, Leslie Smith, she, maybe you want to see her finish her, but Leslie Smith is really tough. So, you know, let's, let's, you know, not throw her under the bus too hard. <laughs> I also know Megan Anderson. I believe they said she had a, I don't know if it was like on her nose or something, but I know she underwent a procedure. Like she was, uh, she took time to heal up a bit of the aches and pains. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, PFL, that would be something that they pick her up, but I almost feel like the stars are aligning for her in Bellator. Gadzingano's there. Finally get to yeah, fight mm-hmm. Cyborg. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I'm sure she's weighing those options if PFL is ready to make an offer. And possibly the value of that offer really hinges on whether or not they keep Kayla Harrison in a month, but that's a story for another day. Uh, some quick hits. Uh Bellator making the main events five rounds starting in January, even the non-title fights. Um, I kind of liked that they, for a while, they were just, um, what's a good way to put it? Just because the UFC does it doesn't mean that the UFC sets the standard for everything. I kind of like that they kind of were like, well, you know, well, good for them. I do think it kind of works, though, because if you're going to start having a bigger consistent schedule that doesn't feature titles every week or every event, you kind of want something to draw the fans. So if it's a good fight like Lima MVP 2, but not for a title, I think that's good for fans because it's like, okay, you're getting more bang for your buck, at least scheduled, even if it doesn't go all five rounds. What about you? Yeah, I think... Oh, I, I'll, I'll start with, I do, I did like that they were all beating to the, you know, what is it? Beating to the, no, beat of their Walk own drum. Walk to the beat of their I, own drum. Thank you, sir. <laughs> oh boy. What yeah. time is it? Um, yeah. I liked that. Okay. Of course. Uh, but I know I didn't feel this way personally, but I know that with Lima MVP too, some folks in the comments where I was reading and stuff were lamenting that it was only a three round fight. Could it have come out? You know, any differently had there been two extra rounds, like you see in most main events or all main events in the UFC. So I bet that was something that they got feedback on too. And I'm sure their fighters want to be fighting five round fights. Um, presumably, there's more money, but also because it's like you don't want to, like, how can you compare yourself to the UFC, which is inevitable? You have to do it as a fighter, compare yourself to UFC fighters if in your own main event you're not able to test yourself the way the UFC fighters are and main events of their own. So it's a little bit of like help making the the big names at Bellator feel that they're getting their place on the big stage in the same way, you know, that UFC does. And also, like I said, presumably there's more money. And so that's that's something that would please the fighters as well. Yeah, I would hope so for sure on that one. But uh, like you said, um, Beat of their own drum, but once again, I like the idea that the fans get it, especially as we get back to a more consistent schedule. I feel like Bellator, they were churning out a lot more fights pre-COVID, and I do notice they've kind of, at least after the break, we're starting to see a little more of an uptick per month with all the events that they hold. Uh, Finally, I want to acknowledge it. Um, Kevin Holland, he... Eats a headbutt, gets knocked out on Saturday, gets choked out, but they call it a no contest. He says, look, I lost and that's just the game, but I appreciate a no contest and let's run it back and let's just, you know, no controversy. And then Monday morning, he's out there. He pulls up to the gas station, hears this lady say her car's getting robbed, sees the car going, chases it in his own truck. The guy, the guy who stole the car crashes, runs out. Kevin Holland gets out of his car. This is Monday. He fought on Saturday. Chases him on foot and holds him down. Catches him until the police get there. I'm sorry, but that is just freaking... You know what? Buy the man a beer. I <laughs> love that story. What about you? Oh, and not to mention, you know, yeah. it doesn't really compare, but... 
the talk is he's going to run it back with Kyle Dawkins on November 13th in a month. Wow. Yeah. I said gave him a bonus for, you know, the fight that he had in between the two UFC fights, although it didn't seem like it was actually much of a fight. You know, it's amazing. It's a heroic thing that he did. But gosh, it could have gone so many other ways. He's very lucky. That's just a scary, you know, risky thing to do. But some people have that in them. That's in their nature. And for others, it's not. You know, there's many different ways you can help someone that's in a situation like that woman was at the gas station. This is the movie, the you know, the, the comic book uh, superhero version. I'm glad he's okay. Um uh, you know, that lady's car has crashed a little bit now, so maybe it wouldn't have been if the guy had just gone, <laughs> been left to go on his own. But any case, very risky. I'm glad he's okay. It's also very brave of him. And, um, you know, I do hope the UFC, like, sends him a little extra love for what he did, you know, out of the octagon because he's he's a special person, has been a special person for them, you know, this during this COVID period. So give the man some extra love, I say. I'm with it. I hear. And uh, what I appreciate, you're not saying, well, what's he doing? You're saying it out of compassion. You don't want to see anything bad happen to Kevin Hall. No, of course. I think that it's just like, it's great to have that mentality. But like, he's lucky, dude. He's lucky it didn't go any other way. So so that's all. I completely get it. I think you're you're talking, you know, Mama Zamudio. (laughs) I I completely get it. Yeah. Uh, um, look, I mean, once again, Kevin Holland just, you know, I tip my hat that I'm not wearing right now, but you get what I mean. Um, and that leads us obviously to now this Saturday's main event. They are, it is not the players we expected to be appearing on Saturday, but it is once again, quite the fight. So we're originally going to have Misha Tate versus Ketlin Vieira. Misha gets COVID, so she's out of the fight. Holly Holm versus Norma Dumont at 145 was elevated from co-main to main, presumably five rounds. And then we find out Holly Holm is out earlier this week. And then it comes out that Aspen Ladd, who we discussed last week, missed weight for Bantamweight against Macy Chasson, looked in bad shape. She was shaking, you know, couldn't put her hands over the curtain, all this other controversial stuff. You know, should she have been fighting, etc., uh, etc.? Et she now steps into the main event, makes her featherweight debut, will be fighting Norma. So before we break down X's and O's, just what are your thoughts on the way that has played out in the last uh, two weeks or so? That's that's wild. First, does anybody know why Holly Holm pulled out of the fight? Uh, no official reason given. Okay, that so I hopefully saw. it's, you know, nothing too career, you know, I want to say that they still said that the hope is to see her fight before the end of the year. Okay, good. Um, actually, I feel silly for not realizing she was fighting um, at 145, but, you know, Holly's Holly's the company man, and she'll just kind of go wherever they they ask her to go. Um, and in and, and either division, she's, like, about as close as you can get to a title shot, right? She just has to win one, and then she's there. So it is a win-win situation for her to be so flexible with these divisions. Okay, uh, but anyway, she's out. Aspen Light is in, and this is a great opportunity she's received, right? Because there was a lot of uh, there are a lot of opinions about her missing weight, either feeling that you know it was dangerous or that she was faking or cheating or you know. And it's funny the connection, the sort of distant connection between Misha Tate and Aspen Ladd here that this was originally Misha Tate's main main event, and now it's Aspen's. And Misha's the one who was criticizing her most vocally for, for cheating or alleging that she was cheating you know, on the scale or attempting to cheat on the scale. Um, so it's a great opportunity for her to to give you know one back to the UFC. She kind of owes them. Um, is she okay? I wonder like how hard was the cut that she failed to make the weight? You know, she failed to make the weight, but how hard did she push herself to try and get there? And how quickly has she recovered from that? That's the first thing I'm thinking when I look at just look at this fight, just being booked. And uh, what, depending on her performance, right? Like, what does that mean? Is the UFC going to tell her you're officially moved up to 145? You know, you're having too many problems at 135. Um, how good will she look? Like, has she ever fought? Has she ever competed at this weight? I don't know. 
And um, so, so I'm curious to see all about to see how that all shakes out when she when she hits the cage. But you know, you got to give her a little bit of, of props. I, I, she she kind of didn't have a choice, right? You don't want to upset the UFC after having missed weight the way she did. So there's a little bit of a forced hand there, but also an opportunity to for redemption and an opportunity to show the UFC that she's you know she's game and that's what they love. We know they love to see that kind of energy. So yeah, I think that um remember we discussed and. It- with Holly and Norma, it feels like they just, they're kind of trying to make a featherweight division without spending money. And mm-hmm. while I do feel like Aspen at 145 is a completely valid option after what happened last week, I will once again point out, once again, the UFC has a new featherweight without shelling out the money for a, quote, real featherweight. Mm-hmm. And now once again, so when I think about Holly and them and that, I think that we'll have this discussion a lot if and when uh, Kayla Harrison were to join UFC potentially. But I almost feel like once again, it's like because there's not enough featherweights out there, you're trying to make something with these weights, And it's like and, and we talked about it. If you ask. Amanda Nunes, when you said you wanted to fight featherweights, is this what you meant or did you mean sign someone new? Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah. And then if you're Holly, are you fighting at featherweight and then you're going to ask UFC, can I make my title shot at Bantamweight because I fight better there? Yeah. I, I mean, those are my questions, honestly, about the featherweight division. Now, if the UFC is just like, look, you know, we we need a division. This is the decision we're making. Um, if you want an opportunity, you know, the fact is there's still a UFC title at women's 145, Amanda or no Amanda. Okay. But I almost feel like I want to hear that straight up because this beating around the bush feels very, you know, like, what are we doing? Like, uh, are we saying that there's just no featherweights worth signing outside of Kayla or a, you know, Chris? Well, I mean, we know how they feel about Chris. Yeah. That's how I feel about that. Anyway, enough of 145. The fact is, this is the fight that we have. So going forward with it, you touched on it. Aspen at 45. Um, what I will say is Aspen, very young, very lean. Um, I feel like one of the things that really benefits her at Bantamweight is the fact that she's very fast and quick. And not saying that she's going to be necessarily blown up at 45, but I do wonder just how much is it like, are you just kind of walking around 145 how big is norma because norma's someone who had trouble making bantamweight too and Mm -hmm. she even said i think i need to get with the pi to make 35 and instead she came out and was like truth be told bantamweight is very tough but i felt like that's where i had to be and instead it's like 45 is a lot easier for me (laughs) how much of that is discipline and just getting on the right program, how much of it is just her body and height and size and shoulders and back and all that, you get what I mean? Yeah. I think only Norma knows that for sure, herself and her team. But looking at this just as a featherweight fight, what I will say is that I feel like going in before her injury, because remember, we haven't seen Aspen in a while. I feel like Aspen has a lot of traits and tools. She's got the wrestling very quick hands, not a home run hitter. I think that's just essentially what happened against Jermaine. But she's got a couple more tools that I think are at a higher level than Norma Dumont. I think that Norma really kind of shocked Felicia Spencer with her toughness and just kind of kept the pressure on her. It wasn't a beautiful striking clinic. It wasn't a beautiful grappling display. But the fact is she out-hustled Felicia Spencer for the win at her last fight at featherweight. Mm -hmm. So now, looking at it, I think that it really depends on the athleticism of Aspen and just where her body's at. Because I think that all things equal, she probably should be able to outwork Norma. I will say, I'm not sure if it's a three-rounder or a five-rounder. I hope it's three. If they agreed to five and it's not a very fun fight after two, that Uh might be a, you know... Okay, uh, you know, like, dare to be great, but I am interested also the length of the fight, but I'm going to s- assume it's a, for the argument, I'm going to say it's a five-rounder, and I'm going to be like, Aspen should, naturally, athletically, I think I expect her to be more ready to go in five. What about you? 
I do feel like Aspen Ladd has the advantage, even though she's got this weird, you know, failed attempt at a weight cut, and we don't know how um, that affected her body and everything. I still think she's got the edge here. So I, I agree with you. Like, there's uh, just a from an athletic perspective, Aspen Ladd is just a better fighter, better athlete. And that's the advantage that she's going to have. And, you know, the change in opponent, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Like if I'm looking at Norma Dumont, you know, you know, there's, there's, there's sometimes like you just, I mean, that's what you're, that's what you're there for, right? Like you should be ready for that to happen with no matter who you're fighting. Um, I'm not like terribly excited about this matchup because of the weird circumstances surrounding it, but I am looking forward to seeing how Aspen Ladd performs at 145. It's just not going to be an accurate like demonstration of what she can do at that weight class. Should that be where she has to end up because of her, her struggles with cutting weight at 135 Uh, simply because she doesn't have time to properly train to be a 145 fighter. Uh, All that being said, because you know, when I referenced earlier, like she kind of owes the UFC one. Um, I think she's going to come out and try to put on a show. And, and, and because of that, I expect this to not be totally, you know, uneventful, but yes, if it is a three round fight, I expect it to be more exciting. If it's five, they're going to have to pace themselves. And, um, I don't know, (laughs) It, it could get, you know, it could be one of those where like, they spend one round, one entire round on the on the canvas trying to, you know, hold each other down. So, um, again, I'm just more curious to see how Aspen Ladd performs and then what that ends up meaning for her future in the UFC 135 or 145. Yeah, you bring up a great point. I don't think that Saturday in any way, shape, or form will be a, a good barometer for just how good Aspen Ladd is or isn't at 145 or 135. Um, to actually get to just a bare X's and O's and pick a winner. Had I not seen the rough shape of Aspen on that weight cut, I would have said that this should be hers even with less time to prepare, On all things considered. She did have a full training camp for a fight, and it was only four or five days removed that they offer her a main event for after not fighting, right? So yeah, she didn't blow up. I don't think in my right so that that mm-hmm. is my logic that being said I think that Norma is probably her body is just healthier in this moment you know she didn't have the rough cut she didn't have all this happen her body is more dialed in I'm gonna say Norma Dumont on toughness I I think that just the preparation and all that I I think that um is gonna be enough to carry her over Aspen I think that this is just too many change up changes possibly. I will say if Aspen's wrestling is on point, um, if she really gets in there and can make something happen, maybe she's got a good shot. Um, I think that that's her best route to victory because if anything, you probably weren't expecting to do too much wrestling with Holly Holm. So right. I do think that that's going to be the real key there is just Aspen's wrestling, you know, set up the hands, work the takedowns, you could probably get the job done. Once again, it's against a bigger opponent in Norma. So I think that that's just going to be the real key to it. But I expect Norma Dumont's toughness to carry her for the win. Unanimous decision. I don't know if it's three or five, but unanimous. Okay. Um, I'm on the other side. I hear what you're saying. It all makes sense. It makes me a little nervous with my pick, but I'm still going to go with Aspen Lad Simply because I think she's got a... A lot to make up for now i'm not trying to make it seem like she did anything you know, i'm not trying to like guilt trip the poor lady for not making weight but it's like you know the ufc isn't happy with you when you do it especially when it's not the first time they're there now to help or at least they say they are with their pi right but still they want someone that they've invested in that they ex- wanted to grow as a big name in their female division 135 they want that person to show up and to not disappoint fans and to not and to you know add to their their repertoire and, and the highlight reel and all that good stuff. So um, I think she's gonna come out and just do whatever she has to do to win. It may not be the most exciting thing, just because I'm considering what her body may have gone through to to try and make 135. But I think she's just gonna gonna tough it out and do it. I'm looking at the 
height difference is one inch, five six for Aspen versus five seven for Norma. Now, of course, you know there's more to say about size difference than height, but a one inch reach advantage for Norma, uh, that's not too severe. So I think Aspen Lad's going to be able to just sort of fight smart. I'm not really even sure what she's going to be doing all all along there. The wrestling, yes. Um, but she'll be able to just stay out of trouble and get a unanimous decision. That's how I see it. All right, we're split. Uh, go ahead, make your notes. See who gets bragging <laughs> rights next week. Um, by the way, Saturday's a doubleheader because while that's going on, roughly about the same time, UFC will go head to head with Bellator. You have Vadim Nemkov taking on the Daniel Cormier, the tournament now, Julius Anglicus, and then of course the co-main event, Ryan Bader against Corey Anderson. So. I am interested to see how all that shakes out. Those are probably, truth be told, the more high-stakes fights, even though obviously you lose a lot of steam without Rumble Johnson, but that's going to be going on. And then next Saturday, Natalie, very, very cool doubleheader. You've got Bellator Russia, the... I don't know if it's going to be the last night of Fedor, but if it is, it's been a great ride, taking on Tim Johnson in Moscow, so I expect bananas. And then in the UFC, we don't laugh at this one because they are bringing firepower too. Marvin Vittori taking on Paolo Costa. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that one's that one's going to be exciting. Like, There's a lot on the line for those two guys. Uh, it's going to be hopefully a good, you know, I won't say a barn burner, but hopefully there's going to be some moments there where things get pretty sketchy for both guys. Uh, but I'm I'm actually more uh, surprisingly more interested in seeing Fedor in Russia just for what you uh, reference there is like the crowd, <laughs> like he's going to be in Russia and everyone's going to lose their minds, and that's going to be fun to watch. You want to feel, see if it's going to be like Rocky for Ivan Drago kind of yes, deal? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean that would be cool. But uh, no, so guys, we'll be breaking down all of that, talking about results, talking about news. So once again, thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys hanging on for the ride. And until then, have a good one.